All right. So this one time, I think I was in an airplane with a pedophile. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was I was probably about seven, eight years old. I think we were flying to uh, St. Bart's or Nevis. Fun fact, Nevis is where Alexander Hamilton was born. And uh, the way the airplane worked, it was like this small little airplane. And like I was like too small to have my own seat or whatever. And so like the pilot was like, uh, we, uh, like uh, we refuse to take off because it's like he can't sit in his chair, like a chair by himself. And I was with my oh. older brother. So my older brother was with my mom or whatever. I don't know where the fuck my dad was. And this guy just volunteers to my mom. Like just goes like, yeah, he can sit on my lap or whatever. Yeah, that's but, like creepy. Yeah, dude. Shit. But back then it was just like, you guess back you really then. didn't. Back, you, you didn't like put up like you wouldn't have been like weirded out by it. You know what I mean? But now it's just like you even say hello to a child, you go to jail for you know like I don't know. I don't that's know. pretty creepy. Weird I shit, think, man. I think that's it was weird as shit. Yeah, in hindsight, time. dude. Hindsight, it's like yeah, this grown ass stranger just offered for me to sit on his lap or whatever. Like what the fuck? Anyway, sorry. I would totally say random. that's very strange. Inaugural episode number one: Where to find the best hookers in Baton Rouge? Uh, yeah, what you started off for us. Oh, well, I was gonna say that I was gonna start off with this is attempt number two. That's right. uh, the first time around didn't go so hot. We sounded like absolute morons and decided to scrap the first episode and, and come back to it. Um, so here we are. I wanted to start off the podcast with just talking about why, one, why we wanted to do it, and then two, get into the creative art for the, for the logo. Um, so, I mean, the reason I wanted to do the podcast was because when we were out at college to get, well, one, you're just one of the most fascinating people to talk to because you're an encyclopedia. No, I didn't mean it in that kind of way. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, when we were, when we were in college and we drove back from Denver to New York, our going in or end of my junior year, what was that? I tried putting a tennis ball in my mouth and it ricocheted off the computer anyway sorry yeah sorry continue, continue that's okay um and we were driving i think it was the end of my junior year end of your sophomore year yeah it had to have been right and uh we get in the car so the drive is what 30 hours you do it over two days 16 hours in the car each day right. and we get in the car and you were you were asleep because i think we left at 5 a.m and you drooled I think you had Oreos for breakfast and you jeweled chocolate all over <laughs> yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. All your shit it was disgusting. And then, but from the minute you woke up at, I don't know, 7.30 in the morning or 8, you spoke the entire 30-hour car ride. And I think I said Motor mouth, five baby. words. And so ever since then, I was it was just to me, it was always like, we just got to do a podcast together because it would be hilarious if we just, you know, probably no one's going to listen to it and no one's going to like it, but we're going to hey, have man. fun doing it and that's hey, all man. that matters. Exactly. I think, you know, especially since I FaceTime you like three times a day, at least. I think you FaceTime me about six times a day. Honestly, you're probably right. My parents are concerned. Really? Why? They think we're dating or something? (laughs) Yeah. Time to break the news. No. And uh, I just have so much to say. There's always things I want to talk about. And I think this is the perfect outlet to do it. So here we are. Um, I think... uh, so once we decided, you know, all right, well, we're going to do this podcast. I think the next thing we kind of focused in on was, you know, all right, we need a podcast name and a logo. And so I think for the name, you know, because my nickname is Junkie, you know, because uh, play on words for my last name. Uh, we are all right. Yeah. How, for those who don't we, know, yeah. his last name is Hunkera, 
but not a single um, teacher in America knows how to pronounce that, so they'd always say Junkera. Not even a Hispanic Latino once, which is a goddamn shame, I will say, all right? <laughs> I mean, yes, it's a bizarre name. It's like from the Basque region of northern Spain, so um, which is almost not even Spanish, but anyway. Um, so yeah, so we came up with the name Junk Mail for the podcast, you know, like email, you know, like your junk spam mail, junk mail, boom, there you go. And then uh, as far as the logo, uh alex kind of sent me some templates as far as you know like trying to incorporate you know like my fucked up crazy mind you know just like some crazy you know like what is going on in junkie's mind and uh there was kind of this uh caricature kind of 3d drawing of like this uh brain being dissected it's like this whole anatomy theme right and uh uh it was perfect you know and we kind of reciting on the colors next. So we had the name, the general image, and then the colors. Um, and just by chance, you had sent me like this black and pink uh, with like some neon green in there. And I was like, it reminded me uh, right away of these uh, famous album covers. Of course, there's Elvis Presley's first album. There's uh, London Calling by The Clash. Um, and then there's Katie Lang. If you look at those albums, it's this black main background with pink and neon green uh horizontal and vertical um it's a super super iconic um album design cover and just those colors kind of reminded me right away of you know the logo that you had sent me so there's so many kind of things that just fit perfectly and this is like boom all right this is off to a great start let's yeah. uh let's keep this train rolling you know well i would say that's the perfect segue into into part of the podcast because as you will do uh you see one thing like a fucking color and you'll just go, oh, my God, that reminds me of Elvis. That reminds me of The Clash. And then you'll talk about it. Okay, so so obviously you're a huge – well, for anyone who knows you, they know that you're a gigantic Elvis fan. Absolutely. Um, and just music fan in general. Mm -hmm. So I figured, you know, what better way to start the first podcast than to talk about something you're passionate about to set the tone for, for the future. So let's get into music. Absolutely. So music, um, about a year or two ago, I actually really started getting into vinyl records and, um, not one of those hipster douchebags who goes to, you know, urban outfitters or, you know, and wears like the doc Martens, like ironically with like uh big baggy pants and like, Oh my God, like this is vinyl. <laughs> like, uh, like you can get a lot of but vinyl Alex, at stores like that. Hold on. Some of those people really like music though. Yeah, but I'm just an asshole and I just have formal opinions on people without, you know, getting to know them with, you know, judging a book by its cover, basically. But anyway, you can go to stores like that, Urban Outfitters or whatever, and they sell a lot of vinyl. But where I differentiate from the pack is that I mostly go after the first pressings, you know, the ones that were released the year that yes, came out. Quite, so, quite, yes. Yes. And not to sound like a, a, a music snob here, but it's it's really cool because not only is it a whole tactile experience, but it almost it's almost like a time machine. It takes you back with the pamphlets that it came with, you know, with advertisements and like whether it's from the fifties or sixties, it's like the actual stuff there. It has all the crackles, you know, in it. Um and it was uh it's it's just from a different era. Um but I have vinyl from anybody and everybody like uh you know from like you said when you mentioned elvis i have all of elvis's stuff including his uh what do you call it some early stuff of his and then his last uh album which is actually really interesting if you think about vinyl the way it's presented um most vinyl when you think of a record it's like a black record right the color is black but um right before elvis died in the late 70s 1977 
um, RCA was kind of experimenting with something, which is what they do who, quite often now. For the people R- who are listening, what's RCA? RCA is a big, one of the biggest, it's still around today, one of the big music entertainment companies. It's like okay. Columbia Records, RCA. I mean, they even made televisions and all that kind of stuff too. Like you've definitely seen them. The oh, stro- yeah, this, that company. This, yeah, the, yeah, stroke, okay. the Strokes yeah. are still on their uh, record label, I believe. Oh, the anyway. Strokes suck. Yeah, I, I saw them. I saw them not to not a, yeah, really no, quick story. So no, no, go for it. I went down to Nashville last summer to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're one of my favorite bands ever. And uh, the Strokes were going to open for them. So I was figured I always wanted to see the Strokes live. So I figured two birds, one stone. And Julian Casablanca was about to fall off the stage. That dude was so fucked up. I, I genuinely <laughs> could not believe he was even able to stand. I don't know if he was on drugs. I don't know if he was on drinking or all of the above. But dude, like the next day, I read about it on Reddit about how this whole tour that he did with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, everyone had noticed how screwed up he was. Wow. So yeah. it wasn't just you thinking, oh my God, no. this guy is super fucked up. Like, no, it because was, everybody noticed and. Yeah, That's the strokes the strokes good. opened for them for a lot of that tour in the US for most of the shows they did in the US and all over Reddit and the internet people were saying how yeah, Casablanca was just hammered the whole time. I couldn't believe how badly he was singing like it was a joke. Wow. That and honestly sucks. pretty disappointing cuz I grew up, you know, being a fan of the Strokes. I wouldn't say they were my favorite band by any stretch, but I definitely enjoyed their music. And then to hear them live, it was pretty disappointing. Anyways, back to your story. Sorry. Well, quickly to add on to those jokes, I mean, it's a really, it's a they have a really interesting sound. I mean, I think he went to Lycée Français, which is you know the French uh, school here in Manhattan. But yes. uh, his father actually, um, a lot of bad stuff came out about him. Is essentially credited with coming up with the modern conception of what a modeling agency is today. Like he was one of the big front runners, like a super, super famous guy. Like I was a total party legend, got kicked out of, uh, I think he went to La Rosie, which is the most expensive boarding school in the world. I think tuition is like a hundred, the equivalent of 140 grand per Who, year. Julian or the dad? The, the dad. And he was expelled from there for like, banging a teacher or something like that or something like that i believe i read that somewhere but uh so they're then, just yeah, old old generational money yeah 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 but it's a super international band like one of the people is brazilian i think uh moretti or whatever his name is brazilian i think um anyway but it's a really interesting sound but yeah that totally sucks that he was super fucked up speaking like, to of the, the point mic. where you could not sorry it's super fucked up and like disappointing that he was that um messed up on stage that like it was it just it took away from the overall show um, yeah, I mean, I mostly, I mostly felt bad for him, right? Because I was I mean, kind of like, dude, like, get your stuff together. Dude, you know? we've seen some cool shows. Remember when we went to go see uh, the Black Eyed Peas in Central Park? You and I remember that? Yeah, during a torrential rainstorm. Um, that was a free concert in New York. That City was that was in, yeah on the Great Lawn, yeah, yeah. and they were like, "The rain ain't gonna stop us." And I just yeah. like, you see like lightning, and it was like, "Okay, we have to cancel this show. Like, <laughs> this is getting really unsafe." Well, wasn't um, wasn't the show canceled the night before? I think it was. And then they rescheduled it because of the rain. They still do great uh, concerts every summer in the park. And believe it or not, in the 1960s, they used to do something called Schaefer Music Festival, which was basically in Central Park right next to Walman Rink, which was kind of, I think it was Trump Rink. It was some affiliation, like the hot ice rink there. I think he developed it. Right, right, right. But I mean, this used to be, I mean, the, the biggest names internationally, whether it was Chuck Berry, Rolling Stones, like, jazz rock you know soul folk music 
like out of control fucking names you read them now and they were all together like a set list and they would do that every single summer or whatever like can you imagine going to a concert back then how crazy it was yeah it would have been actually fun dude we, we were walking i was walking by central park or in central park last summer when they were doing one of those concerts really? i think i think the jonas brothers were playing you could hear it because it's so loud really That's yeah wild. we could hear it we were on the west side so we were walking down the um the bike path area because, you know, they have all the police barriers and whatnot, mm-hmm. so you can't walk in certain places in the park. And we were on the west side, and it was in the Great Lawn, and we must have been in the the 70s, so 10, 15 blocks south of the Great Lawn, um, 10 blocks. But you could hear it loud and clear, and it was clearly the Jonas Brothers. But yeah, I mean, getting to see Chuck Berry and all those Dude. people at in Central Park in the middle of the summer, that would have been amazing. My dad was telling me a story, because uh, he went to high school in Puerto Rico. So in 1972, I think it was, uh, they did a big concert called Marisol, which is basically Sea and Sun. Um, it was organized by this guy named Alex Cooley. Alex Cooley was based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and he did a lot of production stuff with bands like Leonard Skinner. Anyway, on the on the, on the the touring bill for Marisol was... Uh, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, fucking you know Ozzy Osbourne, who incredible stories about him, about including yeah. one of the times where he almost like was murdered because he pissed on the Alamo structure, they, like the the Alamo. Hey, isn't he still not allowed back? And I, I think they might have like a few years ago allowed him back, but yeah, like there, it's amazing how he wasn't like killed. He's anyway, I was nuts. Yeah. Uh. So Black Sabbath. Um. Who uh, I think. Um. Jose Feliciano, the guy who does Feliz Navidad. There was a big, like a bunch of, uh, I think Jethro Tull was there. Um, Black Sabbath ended up because of like a, a transportation issue. Even though they were like the main headliners, they never appeared really. But this one guy who did uh, appear on a show was an unknown at the time, ended up becoming a huge superstar. That guy's name, Billy Joel. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like That's 1972 cool. or whatever in Puerto Rico. Like, who's this, who's this young kid, white kid, you know, doing all this music? Where it's did Billy they Joel. do the show? In San Juan? Uh, yeah, somewhere in San Juan. And, like, it's like they show the outskirts, which is near, like, this beach, whatever. It's, like, kind of a shithole now. But um, no. my dad was telling me he uh, he, remembers sneak, he, he, he remembers sneaking into this concert, and they were all underage at the time. So they, like, climbed under a fence or whatever. And, like, he said, like, the amount of people just, like, because it was in the 70s, it's like completely like ripped out of their gore, like stoned or like a tripping LSD, you know, just like girls, the old, they tar- their tops off, whatever. Like you can't do that days. stuff at concerts anymore, you know, like it says you don't do that stuff anymore. Well, I think at music festivals, a well, lot of well, speaking of concerts, of drugs, dude, but... and speaking of concerts and this, I don't know if you heard about this stuff, dude. And this is going into one of my one of my biggest hot takes. One of the artists who drives me nuts the most. Here you go. I cannot stand her. I'll say it right now. I think she's mid at best. All right. I'm talking, of course, about Taylor Swift. I think it is dangerous. I think it's scary, and I think it's disturbing. the 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 freaky paranoia, the obsession. What do you call it? The Swifties. Oh my god. Oh my god. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Oh my god. People are driving themselves fucking nuts. They had at uh, Nissan's how- Nissan Stadium. Hold on in Nashville. It was they whoever her concert promoters are. I don't know if she has any responsibility with this too. They essentially oversold. I don't know if they oversold a concert, but it was. It turned out almost. A medical something, a, multiple tragedies could have occurred at this concert. This was a couple of weeks okay, ago, whatever. That's not People her fault. were vomiting on each other, screaming and crying 
like getting in prayer circles, like like singing her songs or whatever. Like this, who does this? Like this is a, this is more like a cult than a person. What is this, Jim Jones in in South America? Like I can only imagine. First of all, if you're older than a high schooler, what the fuck you're still listening to this music? Oh, I'm that's... your boyfriend, you're my girlfriend. Bah, 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 bah. Okay. All she does is write songs about guys she's broken up with on purpose. All right, and then she's given to the key to New York City. Oh my god, my nigga from New York City. This is great. Okay. And then she's like, music videos of her. Have you seen how cringe this shit is, dude? She's like, oh my God. Looking at all like these teenage girls. Wow, my God, Taylor. They're freaking out, dude. There's another fucking music video of her like fake strumming his guitar, like high-fiving some girl behind like a coffee table and like drinking out of this red right. soda cup. It's like, it's so cringe. It's so unauthentic. Like who the fuck do you think you are? And the fact that people Alex. are like, paying $2,000 for nosebleed tickets that some father... <laughs> Paid twenty one grand for like his daughter and her spoiled brat friends to go see this. This 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 yeah because we're not spoiled well, brats. If my Anyways. child ever asked to spend over two hundred dollars for a ticket, I'd say, Junkie, "Get you're- the fuck out of here!" All right, <laughs> that's what I would say. Junkie, like in from Italian not, voice, "Get the fuck out of here!" You're not gonna have two hundred dollars to give your kids. Yeah, to buy dude, a I don't make two hundred dollars a year. All right, secondly. Secondly, I think that your hatred of well, there's something else that really bugs me about her, and this you agree on as well. You agree on this as well. Just cut me off. Fine, right? You say what you you say what you want to say. No, 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 no. I want to hear it. All right, all right. There is a song of hers that she was like, you know, growing up on a farm, mama didn't raise no whatever like that. And you look at her childhood home, dude. It's over a million dollars. It's a mansion. Her mom was, remember you looked this up? What, what, did, what was her mom yeah. against? Her mom was like, uh, please on. look this up. This is, it her, infuriates me because it just drives to the point how unauthentic this chick is. It just, it, oh, it really grinds my gears. It's I like, will. And it's a shame on. because there's so much other tremendous music. She real was, music. She was born in West Reading, Pennsylvania. Amish country. Her yeah. father, Scott, was a stockbroker for Merrill Lynch. Oh, man. And her, and her mother was a former homemaker who previously worked as a mutual fund marketing executive. Okay. Oh, my God. Listen, yeah. Listen, I'm, listen, I can't say that she grew up country, whatever. I will say, I think that you're argument that people are obsessed with her is bs because how were pe- people were obsessed with elvis back in the day yes no but that was starting an act that was starting a cultural revolution that actually broke racial barriers you're telling me this okay. chick is breaking racial barriers that's not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is also though people were obsessed with the beatles people were obsessed with the rolling stones people were obsessed with all these amazing artists who lived throughout time just because you don't like Taylor Swift's music. You can't just be mad at her because people like her music and obsess over it when you obsess over other people's music. Okay, it's, you I just, just, I just think just, she's garbage. It just upsets you because you don't like her music. What? Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, I am. Yeah, I know am I'm I right. being a huge asshole about this? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and then the next part, which I would think as someone who loves music and performing as much as you do, she... Listen, say what you want about her music. Say what you want about how she grew up. All that nonsense. Oh, that was... I tried to do a good burp. You can edit that out. Whatever. All right. Sorry. Continue. Say what you want about her music. But you have to respect the fact that she is doing four and a half hour long concerts. Dude, plenty of people have done that in the day. Plenty of people have done that. What modern artist today? What modern artist today... 
goes on, does a world tour and does it uh, every show for four and a half hours. When I saw the Chili Peppers, granted, they are significantly That's because the majority of modern her. artists are freaking pansies and they can't like, uh, right, well, it's, So it's, then you hate pathetic. all modern music? I hate the majority of modern music. There's a lot of groups I still, I still, you know, respect, you know. I definitely respect. There's there's plenty of modern groups that I respect, but you know, I just think, uh, oh, shit at a four hour concert does it every night. All right, people would do that shit okay, all the they, time, dude. They'd go from city but to so city, then, but okay, but as pampered luxury, and but as someone who cheers, loves, as someone who loves music, shouldn't you respect that? Shouldn't you be like, wow, she's like bringing the old performance back to life? When she's, she's pushing the envelope. She's pushing other artists to actually do their jobs instead of just sitting and posting on Instagram and making. Once she develops a crippling cocaine addiction, then I'll respect her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's got to be a real rock star. She's got to OD on heroin once. Absolutely, absolutely. She been arrested yet? Nope. All right, it's not real. Fake news. Okay. <laughs> Fake news. That's pretty funny. Anyway, going back to my vinyl, dude. So, um, it's majority of it's it's all first pressings and some are like rare some rare misprints you know like I have a as far as rare misprints I have a Johnny Cash album That's it's a uh, forty five it's not it's not an album it's just a forty five record but it says J O H N N I E instead of J O H N N Y you know and this is it's still from Sons this is probably nineteen fifty seven fifty eight why was it um, spelled that way I don't know this I guess whoever was it a uh, misprint yeah it's a total misprint um I have um. Let's is that see. worth more money because it's a misprint? I don't think it's worth that much money just because it was a pretty common record. Um, oh, I mean, well, I, I have misprinted that way. No, just that one, just that one song he did. So a forty-five is basically just a single. Yeah, and then and a thirty-three or whatever is like that full album usually. But so yeah, it's just so a is forty-five. It smaller? Yeah. Oh, um. So I didn't know uh, they had names. I just thought yeah, they were yeah, smaller yeah, and bigger vinyl. Um. Actually, it's really funny because. Earlier today, I set up, I set aside about maybe forty-five uh, different re- records that I have that are like uh, that I would consider unique and cool, you know. Um, and uh, what do you call it? And they're all in the other room, but like, so I'm trying to think now to top of my head. So I have, you know, I have albums like, uh, you know, first pressing 1978 of Some Girls by the Rolling Stones, which was the subject of a U.S. Supreme Court case with uh, Jesse Jackson. He was really upset over the Rolling Stones lyrics because it involved a certain race and having wanting to have sex all night long. So he thought it was really racist. You, you can look it up. The Rolling it, Stones wanted yep. to have sex with what ethnicity all night long? It said basically black girls want to f- want to get fucked all night long in one of their songs. And I so, mean, that's, I mean, well, that's I mean, little... but that's, that's tame compared to if you listen to songs by them called, like honky tonk woman, which they don't do anymore. I mean, that's been covered by black artists as well. Um, speaking of black artists, true. I don't know if you heard today, by the way, Tina Turner passed away. And uh, she was a tremendous talent. And yes, she, you know, uh, if you ever seen the movie Eight Mile during one of the rap battles, you know, when she goes, and not stupid like Tina Turner when she got smacked up, you know, yeah, referring, of course, one. to Ike Turner, her husband, who Ike Turner was probably also, I would credit him as being one of the pioneers of inventing rock and roll. Um, but they kept calling all the news media outlets, kept referring to Tina Turner. Oh, she's a queen of rock and roll. The, like, I would highly disagree. I would say the queen of rock and roll is either Mahalia Jackson or Sister Rosetta Tharp. Sister Rosetta Tharp was a black, openly lesbian singer. Uh, if wow. you listen to songs like Didn't It Rain when, Last and Night when, and, and when strumming did she like make- on a SG guitar. I mean, this is like Tina Turner, Little Richard, Elvis, all these people like they're considered the originals, but they as kids 
grew up listening to Sister Rosetta Tharp and Mahalia Jackson. And so, so how, when did she become popular? Or when did she start making music? Uh, 1940s. So she was a black lesbian yeah, rock yeah, yeah. star in the 1940s. Like, well, yeah, like well, little That's Richard. Was, little Richard was arguably, I mean, I don't think he came out, but I mean, like you have to be a moron to not realize the guy was gay, like flamboyantly gay in yeah. the 1950s and stuff like that, you know? And uh like if it wasn't for him, I mean, he opened a door for people, you know, not just straight artists, but people like, you know, Elton John, Prince uh liberace yeah. you know who are uh which by the way if you ever see this like liberace thing like after he died it's like they like later they didn't say like in his autopsy like he died of age which he clearly did but they said it was like some like heart malfunction it's just like who the fuck couldn't tell that who like was not like confused you know if you can edit this out this sounds really bad anyway um but going back to music one of the albums that I have, oh, I have stuff from like Otis Redding first pressings. You know, Otis Redding was probably one of the greatest soul singers and pioneers of rock and roll. Um, one of the uh, records or one of the artists that I have the most records from, probably every single record from, I will argue right now is probably the most, if you have a Mount Rushmore of rock and roll, he's on there along with Chuck Berry, Little Richard, and probably Ray Charles. Um, and also arguably one of the greatest country musicians uh, influential country musicians of all time. I'm talking, of course, let's see if you can get it. As a child, this person committed multiple crimes, such as stealing cars, ignoring segregation laws, which I obviously totally respect, trespassing, running away from uh, home multiple times, unfortunately seeing his, old, his older brother dying in front of him, uh, engaged in underage drinking. As a teenager, uh, committed multiple acts of major fraud, was suspended and expelled from multiple different schools, married somebody else without getting a divorce, uh, and then that's not including. Are you, are you ever going to let me guess? Hold on, hold on, hold on. And it's not including, you know, marrying a 13 year old second cousin twice removed, which was not illegal in the United States or the United Kingdom. And as an adult, extreme drinking and drug use, multiple counts of attempted murder, uh, including uh, probably murdering one of his uh, one of his wives. You have uh, tons of domestic violence, banned from one of the most inter uh, famous entertainment venues, um, despite being one of the most influential figures in that music uh, industry. Uh, uh, multiple accounts of vandalism being arrested multiple times, including at Graceland for having a gun in his trunk, brandishing a gun, driving through the gates of Graceland. Uh, I should know this because yes. you told me a million yes. times, but I have Telling no idea. Camera crews and uh, audiences to kiss his ass and shut the fuck up. Hold on. Sued by Studio 54, sued his own daughter. Um, one of his cousins is Jimmy Swaggart, the famous televangelist. The other one was Mickey Gilly, who was an urban cowboy with John Travolta. Um, All right, blatant tax facts. evasion that's fled, which caused him to flee to another country. And finally, hold on, was the first person to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, recently inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, and having uh, performed with uh, English scholars such as Brian May, you know who that is from Queen, yeah, from Queen. Uh, Mick Fleetwood, Sir Peter Frampton, Sir Tom Jones, Mick Jagger. And work with some of, some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, like Sam Phillips, Jerry Kennedy, and the late billionaire Steve Bing, who Steve Bing worked a lot with, like Leonardo DiCaprio. And I think three years ago, uh, this guy was a billionaire, big media movie uh, mogul personality guy, uh, committed suicide when he jumped out of his like L.A. office building or whatever, and like at the first second he, floor. Was he about like, to get wine? You, wine you, you or saw something? the video. No, I don't know, but like I saw the video of it, like. And it was really fucked up because you remember like the um the joke thing where somebody's about to do something and then the African guys with the coffins go dun, 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 yeah dun, yeah dun, dun. The so just with, like so out. yeah exactly so this and I think he 
killed himself during the pandemic. So it's a video of basically it's unmistakably it's in LA and the body's coming out of like a huge high rise building. And just before it hits the ground, you see the African guys go doom, 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 doom. So of course I am talking about Jerry Lee, as you would say, oh, fucked yeah. up Lewis. Um came onto the scene around the same time as Elvis, um, which was very important because at that time, America was in an extreme sense, uh, extreme state of um, social conservatism and racial segregation. And he, these guys basically knocked those doors down and said to, to hell with that shit. This is what we feel. And it shook the entire world over. Um, Jerry Lee has an album called Live at the Star Club in Hamburg, Germany in 1964. So what's very important to note about Germany in the 1960s was it was still during communism. So you had West Germany and East Germany. Hamburg was part of West Germany. So that was like the non-communist side. Two years before the Beatles had done an album called Live at the Star Club, the same club which Jerry Lee later did. Um, this is already after Jerry Lee had buried a 13-year-old cousin, basically was taken off all the radio stations, uh, like which is crazy because he had the number one songs all over the country. Like he was on basically like the equivalent of Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel, like he's being interviewed. He was like up there with Elvis, you know, and then because he did what he did like overnight. Nope. Like social pariah, you know, banned from radio stations, you know, and basically became a country artist and one of the most successful country artists. But during those years, yeah, what's up? He was married seven times. Seven times, yep. That's so a lot one of wedding. them was his cousin. One of them That's, was a woman who, was who he married. Who was 13 yep. years old. One of them. Uh, Sounds like a good guy. Yeah, it is. A, but listen, like this is a great musician, you know, but terrible person, right? right. Um, so some of the most stuck up, stringiest uh, music uh, reviewers, like Rolling Stone, All Music, Q Magazine, this is what they said about it. In a five out of five stars review, Milo Miles raved in Rolling Stone that Live at the Star Club Hamburg is not an album. It's a crime scene. Jerry Lee slaughters his rivals in a 13-song set that feels like one long convulsion. It's not country, boogie, pop, or blues, but showdown rock and roll with no survivors but the killer. Lewis combines his frightening precision with piano stomps and rolls and nonstop sneers and boasts. His self-references would not be matched until the rap years. He devours the songs with his sweet hellfire vocals, spattering everyone with Jerry Lee's sanctified lewdness. Throughout, Lewis calls for his guitarist to add some excitement in the middle of the storm, but even at that point, a tuba would sound crazed. This might be the most exciting performance ever recorded. Words cannot describe, cannot contain the performance. The purest, hardest rock and roll ever committed to record. He sounds possessed hitting the keys so hard it sounds like they'll break and rocking harder than anybody had or since before. Compared to this, thrash metal sounds tame, the Stooges sound constrained, hardcore punk seems neutered, and the Sex Pistols sound like wimps. Rock and roll is about the fire in a performance, and nothing sounds as fiery as this. Nothing hits as hard or sounds as loud. It is no stretch to call this the greatest live album ever. How much longer Nor is this Or is it a stretch you? to call it the greatest rock and roll album ever record, recorded? It's up there with James, uh, James Brown's great live albums, which I do actually have um, live at uh, uh, Apollo Theater here in New York City, 1963. Um, but it just it, there's so many different reviews just talking about how loud, how we thrashing don't it sounds. But, dude, thinking about it, do you realize how 
pretty like you don't see shit written about that and this and this is why people who would have hated the guy for what he did right like had would have had no business even wanting to like listen to any of his songs but this album is so fucking good and so influential so there's that all right that's part of music and now i'm also into bands like you know I mean, I love the Rolling Stones. I love listening to like Latin music, whether it's Buena Vista Social Globe. I love listening to Deep House, whether it's Claptone or this uh, Spanish chick named Ana Tour. She, she's done some great, great sets in Ibiza, like some unbelievable sets. Um, so, I mean, like my music, definitely, it's not just purely like Elvis, Jerry Lee, Little Richard, who I will say um, for everybody who's so super woke and social justice now, I thought it was a disgrace how as soon as he died, everybody's like, oh, we loved you. We were always big fans of you. You know, you were such a hero. No, 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 no. This guy was the first openly and flamboyantly gay performer, but probably the up there as one of the hardest rockers of all time. I mean, this guy performed in front of presidents, kings and queens. He would have chandeliers in his hair. So he would scream. This guy did so much cocaine that whenever he blew his nose, his memories would come out onto the tissue paper. He, uh, would make $10,000 a night as a black man in the segregated USA. And then $10,000 a night, he threw it all away. Literally, like he threw away all of his jewelry, everything. One night, decided to become a preacher. He'd go back from religion to rock and roll, religion to rock and roll. He was arguably the most influential character and did more than any other pansy has or since today. It infuriates me how people don't give this guy the respect that he, that he, that he deserves. I mean- they probably just don't know. I mean, the average. But it's music, just like, but, but that's like music, history, Alex, dude. But the average music fan doesn't have the desire, the want, the time to go in and read all these things about other people. So unless you're in school taking hit, you know, like music history classes, or you're obsessed with music like you are, right? Right. You're just not going to know about it. I would say most people who are like really know music. They probably know those things about him and would give him credit. I bet you Taylor Swift knows those things. Yeah, but instead of covering any of his songs, she's covered fucking like 99 Problems. I've seen that shit. Like she's actually covered that song at one of her concerts. Like get the fuck out of here. All right. Hey, man. Yeah, 99 Problems. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you take what? Well, well, let's let's put Taylor Swift in the Marcy Project. See how long she lasts. Get the fuck out of here. All right. Marcy, so what? Um, so I feel like I could be going on and on about music. Oh yeah, Elvis, the movie. I thought that was in its disgrace and abomination. One of the like worst it? movies of all time. I like there was it. more plot holes, inconsistencies, and just flat out untruths in that movie than in Amber Heard's testimony. That's what I have to say. That movie was horrific. All right. That movie was uh I mean, I was shaking my head so many times during the movie. This never happened, that never happened, this definitely never happened. Uh, why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you showing this song? Uh, why are you using only 10 seconds of arguably one of the most important songs that defied, defined the era of the 1960s and was dedicated to Martin Luther King? And why would you use a shittier version of that? Like it's It was a disgrace. Absolute I would say disgrace. I liked the movie from the perspective of someone who didn't really know a whole lot about Elvis because I definitely learned some things. Granted, whether they were 100% correct or not is obviously up for debate. But what I didn't like about the movie was the the cinematography of it. It seemed really weird. It was always right. very I mean, flashy. I felt like I was having a seizure. A seizure, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, that's typical Baz Luhrmann. You know, everything has to be but like boom in your sound, face, like you're reading. 
the sound and the music was good though the sound was very good no don't get me wrong and they added some um you know, the, a lot of modern twists to it, like Doja Cat doing uh, Hound Dog, which, by the way, before anybody goes, well, Elvis, you know, he copied black music and he stole Hound Dog. Hound Dog was written by two Jews, Mike Stoller and uh, what do you call it? Mike Stoller and uh, Jerry, Jerry Lieber. OK. And yes, it was first recorded by fellow Mississippi and Big Mama Thornton, who talking about people who are the real queens of rock and roll. She should be up there as well. I don't know why she's nobody ever talks about her. You know, um, that's a shame. Well, I was going to say, too, though. The music was really good, uh, and the the thing that really got me though for that movie that was really hard to one it was the cinematography because I felt right. like I was having a seizure, but then two it was the um, Tom Hanks's accent so was horrible. It was so hard to listen to. He is not good at accents. Listen, don't get me wrong, Tom Hanks incredible actor, but apparently the, he's a real, him he's a in that major movie creep was, in real life. Apparently, like there's there's been like allegations that that guy has done some weird shit. Anyway. What is he? Does he have any flight records on Epstein's? Uh, I don't know if he's been on jet? Epstein's private planes, but uh, I think it's related to that, like in a general sense. I would um, certainly hope not. But even nonetheless, regardless of all that, because this sounds like very hearsay, um, great actor, but goddamn, he was terrible in that movie. Right. I couldn't believe and it. the whole point of that character, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, who that was a pseudonym, just like, you know, uh, Mark Twain or Nick Cage or Bob Dylan. Those aren't those aren't those people's real names. Those are all pseudonyms, made up names. Um, he was originally from the Netherlands. He was an illegal immigrant who came to this country basically uh, and worked in the carnivals, you know. And that's where he kind of got his show business, you know, uh, experience, put stuff for his resume. And then uh, he, but he was a very sure businessman. He had managed people like Hank Snow, which was one of the most iconic country, sing, real country singers, I will say. Um, but uh, there was, he never in real life, he would never use that. He had this whole fake Southern accent because the Presleys were already, especially from the deep South, they weren't very educated. So they were very suspicious people. So if you had a guy, you know, talking like this, you know, like he does it in a movie, they would have been like, no, fuck you. We're not going to do business with you. You know, I'm not, we're not going to have you like uh, manage my son's life and career. Like it's not going to happen. You know, it wasn't really revealed till around the time, a couple of years before Elvis died. Um, or if anything, after Elvis died, that he was, an illegal immigrant from the Netherlands, you know, and that's part of the reason why Elvis was never allowed to travel. Yes, because he traveled with tons of medication and they had been busting other people like uh, I think was somebody in, in the, the who or the whatever the band was. There had been a major drug bust with them. And so there was a, a big, you know, concern from a security standpoint because Elvis basically traveled with an ungodly amount of prescription medication like it wouldn't fly in other countries, even though there was a demand for him to be seen in anywhere from Japan oh, to Elvis. Saudi J- Japan to Saudi Arabia and I think had he had gone abroad you know that he would have lived a couple extra years because it would have given him something to look forward to um but, he, but his he manager was, he, he couldn't travel abroad because his manager was an illegal immigrant and as if his manager had gone with him he would never be allowed back into the country so that's he was Elvis realize. Presley yeah. he could have traveled anywhere in the right, world with even all without the his drugs. manager I don't know man I don't know uh, I mean, Elvis in the Presley? last four, in the last year of his life, I think his private doctor prescribed over 10,000 pills and vitals, like the syringe syringes and stuff. Yeah. Um, at like, and you can look up the exact, I mean, he would take stuff like Demerol, which is essentially for terminally ill cancer patients that just cannot handle the pain anymore. He would take that recreationally. 
Uh, did doctor? Did the doctor who prescribed yeah. them all this stuff? Did they get convicted of murder? Yeah, well, not convicted of murder. They lost their license, kind of very similar to what happened with Michael Jackson's doctor. But Elvis would also get it from different doctors. That, like even though his doctor would prescribe him tens of thousands of pills, you know, in the last year of his life, uh, if Elvis if Elvis wanted a certain medication because he kept a medical almanac updated every single year on his bedside, so he knew how to say, all right, I have this ailment and this is the symptoms I have. So he knew what to get for what thing. And he would purposely like put like, like uh, he put like a, a inch hole, uh, like a, a hole, like an inch wide in his foot, you know, just to get prescription pain medications, or whatever. He'd go what to the, the dentist fuck? all the time just to get pain medication. Um, yeah. And like if a doctor, he went to a doctor's office and a doctor was, you know, seeing somebody else, he'd go into the doctor's office with like a black duffel bag and just go into his drawer, fill a duffel bag up to the brim and just walk out. Like sometimes he didn't even know like what he was taking. He would just take like random shit or he would go to a doctor he'd never seen before. And the doctor was like, well, you're not my patient. I can't really prescribe to you. And he goes, you see that Cadillac outside? And he goes, oh, that's a very nice car, Mr. Press. He goes, well, it's yours. So he had the doctors in his pocket, you know? So it wasn't just that one doc, doctor, uh, Dr. Nick, he was getting it from. It was, it was, it's a very, very sad thing. And you kind of see a lot of parallels today, you know, with the whole, you know, opioid uh, prescription, you know, ec- epidemic that's going on in this country that kills tons of people. Like you can just, because I mean, you used to go to Florida, dude, and they would just have doctors sometimes flying from other countries and not even with the prescription. You could just say, yeah, I have back pain and they would give you a 90 day, uh, a 90 count pill thing. And you can go from clinic to clinic, you know, and they're starting to shut them down now, but like, and that's just scratching the surface. I mean, did it's, you, did just you ever rampant. hear about? Did you ever hear about the uh, the Pill Brothers in Florida? No. What is this? Oh, you would. You gotta look this up. You're gonna. This is this is gonna be the whole next episode. Oh shit, these, man! Love to hear these about two. This. We talk about medication. The, oh my god! These my two, Adderall thing and the shortage of that. Holy shit! Yeah, this let is me so talk. Much for the next let episode. me talk. Hey, hey, uh, hey, hey! Stop it! Don't you? Um. So these two brothers, twin brothers, they ran uh, uh the largest opioid pill mill in u.s history right and they got cracked down on i don't remember when it was but it was like early on when uh opioids were kind of making a a big like you know being over prescribed by doctors right right and basically they just yeah they just had this this tiny little piece of shit shack in florida and they registered it and it was called i forget there was some name for it I'm blanking on what the name was, but it was known across the country by drug addicts and people really? would just go there. Yeah. And they would get all these crazy opioids and these guys were making money like you couldn't believe. There's a whole it's documentary so about it um, called American Pain. It was on Netflix yeah. or Hulu or something like that? Or? CNN film. So I don't, I don't watch that. that. I'm was, just kidding. I mean, <laughs> that was a thing. I've never even heard of CNN films, but nonetheless, apparently- these guys just had the world's – they were like the most successful drug dealers in America and it was all technically legal, although they ended up getting caught and going to jail and all that stuff. But, Good. Um, yeah, you should look it up. It's pretty fascinating. Damn. Um, so what are you talking about? So music. Um, so, yes, I think just in general, like um, what other what other stuff do I listen to? Um, I listen to a lot of old country, you know, like Jerry Lee Lewis, who I think has songs like – if you listen to songs like Middle Age Crazy, she still comes around to love what's left of me. What's made Milwaukee famous has made a loser out of me. Another place, another time. I mean, those songs at the time were even considered hardcore country. But I mean, to me, it's when an artist, it's it's not only the, the tempo of the music, 
but it's the lyrics and it's especially when it's from an artist who's actually walked the walked and talked the talk you know so like my big problem with country music today is that it's by a lot of people who are have never really lived that experience you know and the lyrics are some of them are so cringeworthy whether it's stuff by luke bryan like corn makes whiskey a whiskey makes my girl a little frisky it's like he listens to songs like that it's like dude what am i like it's but so he, bad you but know he could have lived that experience maybe his girlfriend drank some whiskey one night and she got a little frisky i don't know man maybe he put the the um <laughs> remedy in that whiskey to make her get on no. jesus um but so yeah i mean even if it's not from a like conway twitty i love a lot of his stuff but like and there's a, obscure country albums like uh brooke benton uh he does covers of like walk the line he'll have to go which was by jim reeves which is actually the last song elvis ever recorded formally like in his graceland from graceland because the last two years of his life elvis was too fucked up to actually physically go to a formal recording studio so he like basically brought the recording studio to his own house so uh there was like camper trucks outside on his front lawn like rvs and they had like these massive cables going in and out of his front door. And like he had his band in his living room and that's where he recorded. Um, so uh, it was on Halloween 1976. And then the following year, 77, he died. But the last song he did is called uh, He'll Have to Go. And Tom Jones, who uh, has been on Conan O'Brien, he's been on one of uh, the guests of Britain's Got Talent. He's performed in front of the uh, King, Queen of England. Uh, Sir Tom Jones, excellent. He's actually the subject of a John Mulaney joke too. He does one of the greatest covers. If you ever listen to a song, he'll have to go. Just beautiful songs like that. Middle age, crazy, like just beautiful, beautiful songs. Or the 1979 cover of "You'll Win Again," uh, which is by Hank Williams Sr. Hank Williams Sr. Uh, is probably him and Jimmy Rogers are probably the fa- the fathers of country music. And then of course his son Hank Jr. is a nutcase, but um, this can be a story for another podcast. His mountain accident in Montana. That is one of, if you ever look up the details of this guy's mountain accident, 1975, Hank Williams Jr., like you'll be shocked. It's horrifying. Did he get by a grizzly bear or something? He fell off a mountain, but also, we can talk about it on another podcast. But anyway, so that's country music. And then huge Rolling Stones fan. Uh, you know, uh, so you hate the Beatles, you know, though. Yeah, because I mean, the Rolling Stones are like real rock and roll to me. That's like the really Beatles great aren't. Shit. I don't like. I just never got behind them. I never liked their songs. You know, like no, you don't like them because they they outsold and outdid Elvis Presley. Well, sorry, Elvis was around for fucking forty two years, and in the fucking Beatles, you know. Um, I will say one thing I really do respect about the Beatles is their um Ringo Starr and George Harrison were massive, massive Carl Perkins fans. Carl Perkins is probably the most genuine, Boy. not only father of rockabilly, but he wrote songs like Honey Don't, Blue Suede Shoes, Movie Mag, uh, Put Your Cat Clothes On. Uh, what other song? I mean, he wrote so many songs. And in 1985, he did a show, I think it was in Austin, Texas or Washington, D.C., with Ringo Starr, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Lee Rocker, and it's the coolest shit. I mean, there these guys who grew up idolizing Carl Perkins, and this is a couple years before our, uh, Carl Perkins passed away. Um, and they're just they're just jamming out and doing these great songs. I mean, and it's and it's rock and roll, rockabilly to the core. It's so cool. I mean, John Lennon, John Lennon worshipped Chuck Berry. Yeah, I mean, John Lennon said, uh, "quote You know, without Elvis, there will be no Beatles." 
And he also went up to Jerry Lee Lewis and kissed his feet. Like really strange thing. And Jerry Lee is like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then after doing it, uh, John Lennon looks at Jerry Lee and goes like, God bless you. Like if it wasn't for you, like I wouldn't be here. Um, I mean, so, John Lennon was a weirdo. Yeah, he was he a married weirdo. Oko, oh, Oko Wono, whatever Oko, her name yeah, was. yeah, yeah, dude. What was her name? Yoko, Yoko, Ono. Yoko Ono. And then that yeah. video of, of John Lennon with, you know, Chuck Berry during Memphis, Tennessee. And Bill Burr has a great bit about this, by the way. And then, you know, Yoko Ono just going like, ah, ah, you know, like screaming or whatever. And then Chuck Berry, like, gives her this look like, what the fuck is this chick doing? You know, just ruining you know, a great moment between two of the biggest music icons of all time, John Lennon and Chuck Berry, you know, like it's so bad. It's so distracting. Like, uh, like even if she was in the background, maybe playing like the bongo drums, it, it would have been weird, but like, okay, I can get past that. It's not that distracting. They the fact given that a- she's like audibly like making this weird noise, looking like the girl from the ring, you know, like totally sketched out. I don't, I don't know what her deal is, but they should have given her a triangle. And put her Dude. in the back. <laughs> but apparently, like, John hey. Lennon beat the shit out of her, apparently. Like, he was like... Yeah, really... he was a terrible person. Yeah, John Lennon was a horrible fucking person. All these people seem to be terrible, <laughs> terrible. people. So that's the story, kids. Don't don't become rock stars. Yeah. You'll turn into yeah, a exactly. terrible human. Um, oh, by the way, huge fan of The Doors. I think Jim Morrison is... I mean, yes, he's a poet, and he was brilliant. He read about philosophers and knew every single thing about literature, his father was actually a big Navy, a U.S. military guy. Um, I mean, in combining him with Raymond Zarek, you know, who was, I think, a genius on the keyboards and then uh, Robbie Krieger and John Densmore. I mean, that is a sound that is arguably top three greatest rock and roll bands, in my opinion, of all time. What do you I'm think about Akadaka? Akadaka, baby. The ACDC, Akadaka. That's right. I Ak- think they have I, I some, love, the- they, some tremendous songs. I actually have enough. I think it's a Canadian pressing of um dirty deeds done dirt cheap and that's the only album that uh does not feature the lightning bolt you know on acdc logo and there is a phone number in dirty deeds on dirt cheap which happened to be like they it's part of the lyrics which happened to be a random phone number in australia and people kept calling it like and it got so bad like the person threatened to sue the band because it was just, they just get all these crank calls or whatever it was it's a great great story that is great yeah i would say in my personal opinion so I love listening to ACDC when I am like behind, like when I'm driving and it's a nice night out or right. if I'm working out. It's just that it's such good music to listen to. Mm-hmm. But I think I put on I just go on Spotify and I, you know, hit play from, you know, the top and it plays based on their most popular songs. The first 30 songs you listen to or every every single one of them is good. Not a single one of them. Right, no, it's, it's, all, it's all really, really good. It's all really, really good. They have so many great songs. It's 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 pretty hard to believe. Um, So that's music, basically. And I, I feel like I'm definitely missing stuff as far as especially like a lot of the records I have, like bands and stuff like that, like unbelievably famous bands that I'm just totally blanking on. But anyway. Alex, you gave the, the crowd more than they asked okay. for, so don't worry the about other it. Ma- there's two other major things I'm into. One of them uh, I want to get through because there's a couple of quick bios I want to go through, and that's books. Um, uh, for the past, but you don't read. Which I don't read, which is incredible, you know? I have – I've been really, really – into collecting antique and very famous first edition books. So just to list some of the stuff I have, I have a first edition of the cocktail party by uh, T S Eliot, And that's including the edition 
with the rare typo by Sir Alec Guinness, who is probably best known for being in Star Wars, Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, The Lady Killers. He was a big theater guy before he went over to film. Um, I have a first edition of Intruder in the Dust by William Faulkner. William Faulkner, of course, is the author of Sound and the Fury, which is considered the greatest novel ever written of all time. Um, I have some like random. I did not know that. It's true. Uh, true, uh, true first edition, not a book club edition, but a true first edition of Ink Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Uh, some random books in French from the 1800s about things like religion and metaphysics. Why fr- do you collect this? Well, because I just thought those were cool. I got them from an antique dealer in Texas. But you can't read French. I studied French for a little bit in school. What is metaphysics? Metaphysics is, it's, it's like a metaphysics, you know? <laughs> anyway i actually actually hold on hold on i actually took a college course in or a a course in in college in at at the university of denver called uh 20th 21st century metaphysics really and it was actually it was the hardest class i took really oh my god it was so hard we we had to it was my freshman year and we would have to read these papers or these books man that made no sense like it would take me 30 minutes to read five pages. It was so confusing and it made no sense, but it was actually really, really fascinating. And one of the things like you would just learn, like we'd study things like, are you, for instance, you are out junkie, right? Right. And you're junkie in the moment, but it's getting you, weird now, man. <laughs> if, you, if I cut off, like if I cut off your fing- finger, are you still I'm junkie? Not, I'm nine finger junkie. Yeah. That's like a cool But are nickname. you still junkie? And it was like questions like that that just kind of blew no, your mind. Because, my name's Bob. <laughs> but it's but it's like because if you cut off a finger and you're still junkie, that makes the assumption that you are something without your body. But then you also have to believe that your body is not you. It's pretty wild stuff. Anyways. That is pretty continue. wild. Okay. See, you don't you don't know shit about metaphysics. No, I just I don't. gave you a history lesson. No. On your French book that you don't know how to read. Right. That's right. <laughs> I have a first edition of uh, The Shadow on a Dial and other essays by Ambrose Bierce. Ambrose Bierce was probably the most famous horror gothic mystery American novelist of all time. And uh, what's most interesting about this guy is he, uh, he also he he was actively he was a soldier in the Civil War and he actively fought in uh like I don't know how he didn't die, but like some like a whole like a slew of some of the most famous battles, like bloodiest and most horrific battles in the Civil War. Towards the end of his career, he went to go study like or do some reporting in Mexico. He disappeared. Nobody ever saw him from him again. But on his bedside, carved into like his wooden bedside table in Mexico, was the phrase Croatoan. Croatoan was the same phrase. Have you ever heard about the lost colony of Roanoke? That was like in the 15 or 1600s or whatever. Um, basically, like they, they, they set up this thing in Roanoke. And then uh, the guy who was ahead of it, like left to go to England to come back to get more supplies. When he came back, like two years later, he found the entire colony deserted. And on a tree carved in was the phrase Croatoan. So it's like this phrase, like nobody knows what it means. It was the same phrase was written. Creepy. Same phrase was written in Amelia Earhart's journal. Like before she died, the same phrase was spoken by Edgar Allan Poe, like on his deathbed. What? So it's all these really weird it's connections. Some Illuminati yeah, stuff. dude, That's it's really look bizarre. it up. It's really bizarre, but look this shit up, dude. Um, I have a first edition of a book by W. G. Brownlow. W. G. Brownlow was a governor of Tennessee during the Reconstruction era. He was a radical Republican against slavery. 
and he fought against the Ku Klux Klan. So it's just talking about his experiences, you know, but the book I had was actually um, part of the private collection of Paul Gallico, who was a screenwriter for the original series Poseidon. Remember the movie Poseidon? It used to be yeah, a TV. It used to be a TV series. So that's he would. That's where Wasn't that came the from. Original a movie though. I don't know if it was a movie or a TV show. Anyway, they made two movies. They made mm-hmm. a remake of Poseidon right. with the guy like Turtle from uh, Entourage, right? Hey, was Turtle from Entourage? In it? I swear to God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know he ever did anything other than Entourage. Um, I think it's Turtle at least. Um, I have a first edition book, uh, Pretty Miss Gaston by John Eston Cook. John Eston Cook came from a very wealthy Southern family. He fought under uh, General Jeb Stuart in the Civil War. So that's from 1874. I have a uh, volumes uh, one and two of uh, Principles of Philosophy, System of Biology by Herbert Spencer um, from 1880. Herbert Spencer, if you ever heard of the term survival of the fittest, a lot of people will associate that with being by, uh, what do you call it, Charles Darwin, when in fact it was actually by Herbert Spencer. Um, upon reading Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species in 1859, in 1864, um, Herbert Spencer was the first to actually come up with the phrase survival of the fittest. So Wait, a so little is, interesting fact. Is- Survival of the fittest, not in origin of the species. Of whatever no, the fuck? I don't think it is. No, like not word for word, like not that phrase. So he talks okay, about organism, right, not being, word for word, but, but he makes, survival but he of the fittest. It. He doesn't say it. I don't think. No, no, no. But the, the, the well, but actual he does say it. He just doesn't say those three coined, words. Yeah, the first person to coin the phrase "survival of the fittest," like written okay. down, was Herbert Spencer, who's also doesn't, Lamarckism, which is. So but he dumb. got it from Charles Darwin's writings of the things that get have bad eyesight end up dying you're saying survival of the fittest without using those three words uh, tomato tomato okay whatever <laughs> um there's a couple of bios i want to go quickly through um which are super interesting absolutely fascinating um before that i just want to list a couple more things that i have i have an original copy from 1856 of uh william h seward's address to congress asking for kansas to be accepted into the union this was really important because if you think about bleeding kansas and like the caning that uh and all the shit that led up to the civil war um general uh sorry general seward uh uh, william h seward was from new york went to union college and served as a secretary of state under president lincoln um if you ever want to read something incredible go to his wikipedia and read how he survived this assassination attempt it's an unbelievable fucking story and this was on the same night that lincoln was assassinated so it was like there was like three guys that went after one guy went after lincoln john wilkes booth the other guy was supposed to go after Andrew Johnson, and the other guy was supposed to go after the Secretary of State, William H. Seward. Why don't you read these books? Because I have so many books to other read. Um, but you don't read any of them. No, I don't, but I know all, all about them. But you, by what? You read about what they're about on Wikipedia? Yeah, and I read about the authors. So like it's A lot of the books I get are so be, you get the based Spark on the authors. Version. Essentially, but then I have like the actual book from the 1800s or the early 1900s and whatever. Um, any of the pages sticky? Yeah, with jizz. <laughs> we might have to edit that out, but actually, no, no, no let's I... keep it. Let's keep it. Let's keep it. Um, no, some of the pages, I mean, they have a lot of foxing on them and tanning. Foxing is basically like the spots, yeah, spots like the brown spots you see. But I, 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 tr- I generally try to get books. Are they old people with liver spots? Books, yeah, yeah. It's like mold spots, essentially, in books. Ew. If you look up foxing. But yeah, when a book is over 200 years old, you know, that's what happens. Um, I'm sorry, I don't own any books that are over 200 years oh, old. Sorry, you know. Um, <laughs> let's see. I have uh, a first edition of a book called The Ruby of Kishmore by the great Howard Pyle. Howard Pyle was essentially one of the greatest illustrators in American history. 
Um, even Vince Van Gogh wrote in a letter to his brother, like, I'm fascinated by this guy's work. He did all the illustrations for like the original uh, Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, um, King Arthur and his Knights at the Round Table. Uh, and he has one book, uh, what do you call it? One of his, and he was also like a big painter. He did uh, war paintings. And one of them is actually currently missing. It's on the FBI's list for like wanted, like missing photos. If you go to like a missing paintings. Probably a somewhere. Yeah, honestly. Um, actually, one of his pupils, Saudi Arabia. What, you'll like this, Alex. One of his pupils was a, one of the most famous painters in history who went to the University of Denver. There you go. Um, Al, Alan Tupper True. He went to the University of Denver. Yep. When? Uh, like in eighteen hundreds or whatever. Oh, back when it wasn't yeah. even in the same location. Probably not. Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you call it? Howard Pyle died in nineteen eleven. So yeah, this was Jesus. old shit. Um. And that painting, by the way, that's on FBI's official database is the Battle of Bunker Hill. Uh, oh. This other, uh, I'm going to go through three quick bios here. Um, one of my favorite books I have is a signed copy by this guy named James Lezer. James Lezer, um, prior to becoming an author, served in World War II. Um, and then during World War II, he was on this aircraft carrier that basically was torpedoed. Not only did he survive that, but he was like thrown into the water because of the explosion on the ship. And he spent like 48 hours like treading water and shark infested waters, survived that. And then uh, while in the jungles in fucking like Myanmar or whatever, he uh, like there's some mail system that they'd give the troops. He was able to write his first book and send it in the mail back to his mom in England who got in touch with like, um, what do you call it? With uh, some publishers. I mean, this guy, like, he got hit with shrapnel so many times. This guy was a fucking huge badass. So not only like, surviving shark infested waters, surviving his ship getting torpedoed, surviving in the jungles, you know, surviving getting shot at, all that kind of shit. Um, that, re- that reminds me, the last time we tried taping the first episode of the podcast, right? I told you about a book called Unbroken. Unbroken, fuck. I still have to check that you out. You got to look it yeah, up. I'm probably, it's great, sorry. For anyone up. who doesn't know, it's about a World War II uh, American POW in Japan. Uh, the name of the the guy was Louis Zamperini. There was an amazing. I think he he must have written the book. He might not have written the book because people back then didn't write their own books because they had class. But <laughs> but but um, nonetheless, whether he wrote it or not, it's an incredible book about his story. And Angelina Jolie directed a movie about it. I never saw the movie, but I did hear it was trash. Jolie. But you would love it. You got to look it up. It's and for anyone who doesn't know, you should read the book. Un, it's called Unbroken. It's about Louis Zamperini. He was a track runner uh, for the United States. Uh, I think he was ran the mile, if I can remember correctly. Four forty time. And what? What was his four forty time? Huh. <laughs> and uh, what was it with pads on? Yeah. And um, <laughs> and uh, he, but anyway, so yeah, he ended up getting. Uh, I think he. Ran in the Olympic trials right before World War II and qualified, but then something, you know, because he had to go fight in a war. It's a crazy story, but yeah, Junkie, you'd love it. Look it up. Damn, bro. And then tell us about it on the next podcast because you'll do a better job than I will. No, 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 no. You did a great job. Um, so after doing all that stuff, he moved back to England and was a personal secretary to Lord Beaverbrook, the Canadian-British giant who served as Minister of War Production and Minister of Air Production all under Winston Churchill. This guy was a, a have, James Lezer, dude. You have to look this guy up. Total badass. Have you ever read about Winston Churchill? 
Yeah, apparently he was the funniest motherfucker to you. Say some dude, outrageous he was a shit. wild guy. Yeah, dude. He would wake up in the morning and drink a bottle of champagne and smoke a cigar. Dude, what a pimp. He was a, a he was a nuts. But he was also incredibly intelligent. And nothing has ever come out about him being a weirdo. So All right. Hey man. That's always He's, makes you smile. Wow. Let's hope nothing ever comes out about him. Yeah. Um, another really cool book I have is from 1966. It's the first edition of a book called A Challenge to Science, The UFO Enigma by Jacques Vallée and his wife. Um, Jacques Vallée was a, not only a UFO specialist, but he was essentially an internet pioneer, computer scientist, businessman, astronomer, and author. After receiving a master's degree in astrophysics, as well as a bachelor's degree in math in the late 50s and early 60s, Jacques Vallée um, was awarded the Jules Verne Prize for a science for a science fiction book, uh, Le Subspace, in 1961. Jules Verne, of course, is the author. Did Around the World in 80 Days and 2,000 Leagues Under yeah, the Sea. Of course, 2,000 Leagues and, or 200,000 whatever is under the sea. Um, the following year, uh, this guy Jacques Vallée moved to the U.S. and studied at the University of Texas, um, where alongside fellow Frenchman and Harvard and Yale degree holder, uh, I can't pronounce that guy's name. He helped um, create the first highly detailed international map of um, Mars for NASA. Uh, he went on to study all this UFO stuff, especially uh, uh, also with this guy named Peter Sturrock, who was actually 99. I think he turned 99 recently. So that guy's still around. Uh, he worked in Paris, New Jersey, and at Stanford. So he studied plasma research um, for the Institute. In National- yeah, yeah. He's in his early 80s. Let's try and see if we can get Jacques him on the podcast. Dude, he was, you know, he was actually on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. And was he really? And he's, and he's, has authored the forward part of the book about UFOs by Tom DeLonge, who's the lead singer of Blink 182. So he's a really oh, cool guy. But, try and get him on. But uh, what Jacques, do you, you want to join? Jacques, dude, this guy um, basically uh, helped develop this thing called Arapanet, which is an early version of instant messaging. Um, it was done by his own company called InfoMedia. Speaking of companies, not only has Jacques Vallée done all that, but he's been a major figure in the venture capital field. He's been behind tons of companies from small healthcare boutiques to big tech companies like Electronics for Imaging, which are the creators of the CyberKnife, AOL, Intel, Cisco, and many others. All Did big, you just I print re- that off of Wikipedia well, no, and read I, that? I, that's actually what I have printed on my Instagram thing, which I'll go into later, but I, I've made notes from my, my own Instagram <laughs> stuff. Um, but all this while mostly being a UFO specialist. Like, that's fucking it. So like, what does he spe- – so UFO if you're specializing, UFO- uh, creating like uh, instant messaging on the internet, creating, helping back companies like Cisco, Intel, AOL, like what a pimp creating the first internationally space, like detailed map for, of Mars for NASA. Like, dude, what a, what a, what a fascinating dude. Yeah, I know. We got to get him on the podcast. Dude, can you That's imagine? Nice. I could talk to that guy for hours. Uh, It'd be more interesting than you. Oh, are you kidding me, dude? I could, I would. Jerk that guy off just to like listen to him speak. We're gonna have to cut that out. No, um, we're not. That's great. Let's Jack, see. Jacques, that's Jacques. your invitation. We'll jerk you off. Both Absolutely. of us. Absolutely. I have a book called uh Sunk, which is by a German uh Japanese uh uh submarine commander who basically uh I think he sunk the US Indianapolis, which was one of the most horrific incidents in the United States, because the United States essentially they after their submarine got torpedoed. They sent out all these distress signals and our own country ignored them and allowed our own troops to be treading water, getting eaten alive by sharks for like two days. It's a fascinating story. That. It's, a, that, it's uh, clearly during World, World War II. II. Yeah, yeah. But like we sent out multiple distress signals like we've been torpedoes and we ignored them. Our own ship sent out its distress signals and we ignored well, them and allowed people to be like 
it's there had it's to known have been as a, a real it's, reason, it's, it's, right? it's never been Presumably. it's never been a release it's never been mentioned why and the people there i don't know if there's i'm sure there's still some survivors of it but like they're describing like getting eaten by sharks and it's like it's known as like technically the worst shark attack in history because of that Really? Yeah, there were that many were covered sharks in, in the water? Covered in oil and blood and people were bleeding and stuff like that. And the sharks just went yeah. nuts. And yeah, so people like they would try Where? to uh they would try to like get in groups, huddle together, but like because people would be starving or whatever, they would like drift off the groups and then it would just the sharks be a frenzy. Just go off that Jesus. one person. It was, it's it's horrifying. But it's a real, real there story. To have been, there has to have been a real reason. And I think that commander that the of that boat send help. Right. And I think the commander of that boat, if he didn't die, or like of another one related to that boat, um, really famous US Navy Admiral later committed suicide. So the book I have the Japanese guy who sunk that the boat, that torpedo, yeah, or that submarine rather. Um, it talks about like that and like and it and he actually like defends the US Navy Admiral who took his own life. Um I have a book called uh, Diving for Sunken Treasure by Jacques Cousteau. That's from 1971. Jacques Cousteau was a legendary inventor, naval explorer, marine uh, life expert, scientist, author, and filmmaker. He's best known for being the uh, co-inventor of the Aqualung. You know what that is? It's like that thing that helps you breathe underwater. Um, he was a spy during the World War II for the French Resistance. Uh, he set a world record in 1947 for diving 300 feet below the surface with the French Navy. The following year, he and a team explored a Roman shipwreck off the coast of Tunisia. This basically became the first underwater archaeology report. Um, it is said uh, through all of his films, he's won as many Oscars as Meryl Streep. Um, and in the 1980s, he was, he actually, he was actually able many, to convince F Fidel Castro to release like 80 political prisoners. So, How many Oscars is that? It's a lot. I don't know. But I think this guy d is dead now. But uh, I mean, yeah. I would imagine he was alive during world mm -hmm. war ii it's right. not many people that are alive today that were alive then um i have or at least uh, that did things yeah and then some world books by uh people like um roy chapman andrews who was a big archaeologist um he actually prior to becoming like the head of the american museum of natural history he worked as a janitor there which is pretty cool it's always like you know you work your ass off you can start from the bottom and get to the top um he was also a member of the renowned explorers club which is on the upper east side they do stuff with nat geo they're always in international stuff whether it's the azores in portugal or in brazil doing all these documentaries or like um there's this guy in florida right now he's like living in this thing underwater but he's setting a world record like for like longest time like living underwater and what, he, is he on his house in the, on the i beach? don't know dude but it's, the, it was the on the news it was on the news and they showed it in the back like there was an explorers club flag like so it's like well, all these people I don't, he know if underwater I don't know if he's sponsored I don't know what it is. I, I have to find it. We can talk about it on the next episode. But I, it's it's something on the news the other week. And then I have this book by David uh, Blaine, right? Fucking magician. Uh, uh, Forbid Thy Ravens, um, by Rolfie Humphreys, who uh, what do you call it? A really really fascinating story about him. I don't need to get into that. And then just random stuff like um, spanning Why from do the nineteen. But I had stuff from whether it's Doctor Seuss. Um, from the 1930s, an original, uh, his the first book I think he ever wrote, which is I think was the 500 Caps of Bartholomew Cubbins, or that could be the second ones. The Wasn't second he one. a creep too? I'm sure he was, but I have from 1938. I have a first first edition of that, and then I have a first edition of like stuff like Frog and Toad are friends from 1970, and Where the Wild Things Are. First edition of that from like the 60s. Did you ever read that one? When I was little, but not like the first edition one. So just tons of books. I have a library, you know. So whether it's stuff from the 1800s, you know, stuff about fascinating medical, uh, military people, like scientists, you know, all sorts of topics, you know, have that all. So that's books. 
And then finally, the last thing I'm into, and this is something that you're super into again, are watches. So why don't you take it from there? Yeah, I mean, I love I love watches. Um, well, it's funny. <laughs> you because... a beautiful input. You know, that was tremendous. Yeah. Well, you've been talking so much. I, no. uh, I don't even really know what to say. No. Um, I To me, so I understand. So like everyone always asks, you know, who doesn't wear watches? They're always like, well, why don't you just look at your phone? And it's not really about the telling of the right, time, right. although that's, I do like to look at my watch to tell the time or especially um, I love that the date is on my watch, so the 22nd. So if like I'm writing notes for work or whatever it might be, I can just quickly glance at my watch and I know the date. It's honestly probably what I use more so than even the time. Right. But to me, it's more like a work of art, right? So a mechanical watch or an automatic watch, I should say, the fact that someone was the fact that it moves based on the movement of your wrist is just truly fascinating. Right. Like it's a work of art that you get to wear around and then you get to show people and people like you and I who enjoy watches and and the beauty behind it. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's an incredible piece of engineering. How could you not love that? Right. To me, it's way cooler than a fucking iPhone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a whole mechanical it's, thing and the engineering that goes into it. The craftsmanship, no electricity, the history, not, a, not a single thing of electricity. It's absolutely. all moving parts Well, that keep time every day. Well, not all watches, right? But right. automatic right, watches. Right, right, and right, obviously right. I like non-automatic watches too. Um, but it, to me, automatic watches are really what I love. Um, and actually you're going to, you're going to call me a hypocrite because I'm, as you know, I, I'm not a fan of Rolex in any way, shape or form. Right. Because of, Various everybody reasons. has one yeah, yeah everybody has one you can't go you can't walk into the store and right, buy right. one it's, even it's, if you have the money it's like list. hey right. i'm trying to give you my money take it right, right. Yeah. Like, what company on the planet is like yeah you know we don't want your money like it's well, just ferrari not. is kind of the same way right don't you have to be on a wait list to get a ferrari now i thought like isn't it yeah case? ferrari ferrari to my understanding if you want to go buy a brand new ferrari you either have to be someone right like you know an influencer or some bs or yeah, you have to have bought what in the multiple past? like older Ferraris in the past, which is kind of BS. But you can't again, just I walk in there and be like, I want a Ferrari, I have the money. Like, yeah, but again, if, if I had the money to buy a Ferrari and I went into a Ferrari store and they said, no, we won't let you buy it, I'll be like, okay, I'll walk down to Lamborghini because Lamborghini's right. going to let me buy it. Right. Um, but, okay, all of this being said, though, the I got to say a watch that I really, really, really do want is the Rolex Skydweller. Really? Have you ever seen it? Yeah. So it looks like the date just pull up an image. It's like it has the same face not same face, but it has the same uh case as the date just for the most part. But it's their most complicated movement they've ever made. And so it's a GMT. Right. But it's got like the semicircle the the smaller circle within it. Smaller right? circle. And it's within got it the that, Cyclops eye date on the side. Yeah, but really then cool. also my favorite thing about it's a the watch. Busy dial though. It is a pretty busy dial. Yeah, but I, I don't mind busy dials. The most, my favorite thing about the watch, though, is if you look at the hour markers, there's a bunch of white lines, and then at one of them, there's a red line, and right. that tells you what oh, month shit. it is. That really? tells you what month it is. Yeah, and the only you don't have to change it for dates because it keeps the calendar correct, so it knows which months have 31 days, 30 days. The only month you have to change it is February because leap years. Well, it's a 42 millimeter case, so it's a pretty big watch, but. Fifteen thousand six hundred fifty dollars. 
Yeah, but you can never. That's the problem. That's the problem with Rolex. You can never get it from Rolex. Right, right. To, and then it's going to be even buy it more, on the gray expensive, market, more expensive. And on the gray market, they all cost at like least 29, twice. Yeah, twenty nine k for fucking stainless steel. <laughs> it's nonsense. But it's Man. a beautiful watch, and it's the only watch. It's I think it's actually my favorite watch right now. Although I have a new favorite watch every other week. Um, that to me right now is like a watch that I would really love to get one day. Um, I think the big reason I kind of got into watches was well, it kind of started as a whole joke because I think it was over the pandemic or whatever. I was watching this video, some fucking rapper, you know, showing off his blinged out watches, whatever, and like just throwing tons of cash. All over. It was like the most ostentatious, you know, but stereotypical at the same time, what, what some rapper would do. And then I, I don't know if it was to you or to who I sent it, it was like a joke Snapchat and I had like three or four dollars in singles, you know. And I was like throwing them all over like some Timex that I had as, as a kid, you know, growing up or whatever. And uh, I sent it to my older brother, I think. And he, for Christmas, he gave me like this vintage Timex from like the 19, it was 1978, I think. I think it was a Mercury or a, a Marlon Handwind or whatever. And uh, I was like, oh, this is actually really, really cool. So I started doing all this research on the brand. And I was like, this is fucking unbelievable. Like, because of course, when you think about the name Timex, you would have thought you you'd normally think, oh, some cheapo shit you can get at Walmart or whatever. Which, for the most part, is very true. But if you look at its heritage and its brand history, it's absolutely fascinating. So, um, it was founded in 1854 as a Waterbury Clock Company, which is based in uh, Connecticut. You know, Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, it later became Ingersoll, then U.S. Time Corp, and then Timex. Um, it was really the first. Are mass available and affordable pocket watches and wristwatches. So by like 1900s, their pocket watches cost a buck at most. Um, Mark Twain had several of them. Uh, and then uh, World War II came around and they kind of produced like uh, gyroscopes and like missile technology stuff for, you know, the United States Army and the Allied Forces, which was just really, really cool. Um, and I feel like a lot of companies also did that, kind of shifted their attention more to help on the front lines. To. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, post World War II, the 1950s and stuff like that, they um, really were. Timex was super well known for their world famous stress tests and the celebrities that endorsed them. So they would put them like in the New York Harbor. They had pressure cookers on them. They had like a lobster claw, like trying to break it, and they would they were like indestructible and they were super super affordable. Like Rocky Marciano, the boxer, was wearing one while fighting. Mickey Mantle advertised one. I think Marilyn Monroe was advertised one. Um, but uh, by the 1960s, one third of all watches sold in the United States was a Timex, which is pretty insane. That is pretty um, crazy. They were very really, uh, famous for ha- uh, having uh, employed uh, women, like all women run factories and making watches specifically for women's. Um, their advertisements were super, super iconic that ran for decades. Um, and then what happened in the 1970s, which didn't only affect Timex, affected the entire watch industry, was something called the quartz crisis, which in a nutshell was the introduction of quartz. So quartz is like the mineral quartzite that you see like in homes and apartments it looks like marble but it's not you know um that stuff um actually is a much cheaper and uh bigger mass market option to work with watches so um the the majority of mass sorry the majority of mechanical watches were basically phased out in favor of uh quartz which is a much cheaper option and um so many watch companies kind of ceased to exist because they were their whole emphasis was on hand wine you know mechanical hand wine movements um even the big luxury guys like rolex and omega had quartz models like uh oyster quartz uh they had a i forget the omega model which was a quartz but um 
Um, and Timex kind of adapted to that too, you know. Um, they had a, a, their huge Q line, which still exists today. They kind of revitalized that line. Um, and it's a shame because up to the 1960s and 70s, the I would say 95% of all Timexes were either, or 100% of all Timexes were either made in the United States, Great Britain, France, or West Germany, you know? So like really high quality or not for the price, very high quality for the price, you know? And then, Where are they made now? China? Uh, they're all made in yeah, China. They have some stuff that are made in Italy and the United States, but that's like they're much higher end stuff. Um, the other really cool way that Timex adapted to the whole quartz crisis was by uh, coming up with something called uh, Dynabeat, which is like an electric movement, which is essentially a hybrid style movement that looked like an automatic, but it featured a battery powered escape wheel mechanism. Um, so the escape wheel is a mechanical link basically that provides impulses to the timekeeping element and regularly keep uh, regularly releases the gears to move forward, which in turn moves the watch hands forward. Um, so it was basically it looked like an automatic. So the hands would go like fast, kind of sweeping. Yeah. But it was all electric uh, power, battery powered movements. Um, and it basically had like twenty eight thousand eight hundred uh, beats per hour. Um, so it was very very advanced for the time. You know. Um, it's like a high beat movement, which is you see that in now in like Grand Seiko high beat movement. I was just you know? about to say Seiko Grand Seiko makes the most right, accurate right. automatic watch on the planet, and you mm-hmm. can go and buy it for what seven thousand, seven thousand dollars, right? Um, and you could walk in the store right now and do it. Fuck you, mm-hmm. Rolex. <laughs> Unless you want to sponsor me and give me a sky door, yeah. then I love you guys. Hey. Um, so that's all like 1970s and in the early eighties, um, Timex apparently created the first sports watch, which is the Ironman, which is a very popular collab that they still do. It's a digital watch. Um, but I feel like Casio might've come out, come out with them one in the early eighties as well. Uh, so that's eighties, 1990s. They also, Timex also invented something called the first connected smartwatch, which was called the data link. Um, it was done in a collaboration with Microsoft. So basically it used a digital mechanism to read information from your computer monitor and relay it back to your uh, phone, back to your, uh, sorry, to your watch screen or to your watch display, which is pretty that cool. That was in the 1990s? Yep. Microsoft. that technology Which is crazy. Then? Yeah, dude. Um, that is shocking. Dude, uh, one of the brands I think most famous trademarks is Indiglo, which is if you press basically the crown, if you push the crown in, the whole dial illuminates, you know, um, which is like it's a whole backlight feature for the entire dial. Um, so during the first attack on the Twin Towers in 1993, um, somebody was wearing a Timex that had Indiglo on it, and uh, like they helped people like in the back stairwell, like they kind of sh- showed like illuminated a little path with their watch and helped people escape, kind of. So I guess you could say a Timex helped people escape. Um, and like I said, today some of their models are made in Italy and America, but they're mostly really cheap shit so it's really unfortunate to see a band with such a brand with such you know tremendous history and prestige you know um being you know outsourced yeah outsourced and really really cheap although a lot of the stuff is do that i don't know man i don't know i mean i guess Um, it must obviously it's more cost but i I fell in love with this whole vintage timex thing so it's gotten out of control i have about over 120 vintage timexes from the 1950s 60s and 70s um Wait, you crazy dials mostly yeah i mean i, I buy a couple of Seikos here and there you know um oh, and i didn't I, realize I have, it was all timex i have like a vintage zodiac from the 1960s too um zodiac was huge because they kind of other than blank pen i think they were really big on like the affordable diving or i don't know if you could say blank pen 
like the 50 fathoms now that watch is out of control expensive if you can even find it on secondary market um but like zodiac was like with their um sea wolf like that was a really really popular dive watch in the 50s um but anyway uh yeah so all of my watches i mean they're all made in britain uh france west germany or, or in the united states they're and they still work i mean they're, they're crazy to dial design some of them a lot of them are like the dynamic electric hybrid movements in the 1970s. A lot of them are just, you know, pure mechanical hand wind stuff. Others are just straight up automatic movements, you know, but um, they're really, really cool. I mean, it, it's it's kind of niche because you tell people, oh, like I'm really into watches and you say time access, like they look at you like what a fucking loser. But it's like you really have to appreciate it. That's yeah. true. Um I'd say in New York, maybe that's true. right. Right. But right. I'd say outside. New but it's York, like, yeah, I don't have time true. to tell people the whole the whole reason why I focus on time because it's not. I mean, it's Alex, you stuff, could cut yeah. that entire story that just took you ten minutes to tell. You could cut that down to two sentences. I don't know. My why. brother gave me an awesome vintage Timex for my birthday or Christmas one year, and now I just love collecting Timexes because I love the history of the brand. Boom, hey, there boom. you go. I like that, dude. That's, <laughs> hey, kiss. Keep it stupid simple. You know who I learned that from? A professor at Daniel's College of Business, University of Denver. Little plug right there. Did you mean um, to say keep it simple, stupid? What did I say? Keep simple, it's stupid. No, I said keep it stupid simple, right? No, you're saying keep, keep it, it stupid. stupid simple. Yeah, kiss, K-I-S-S. Keep it stupid simple. No, you idiot. It's keep it simple, stupid. What's the difference between... Oh, like you're calling it... Because you're stupid. being... Yeah, you moron. Oh, okay. Well, I thought it, it could also be like keep it stupid simple. Like you don't need to like... I guess they both work. I've right. never heard it said. Uh, I, think, no, I think you're definitely right with your yours. Right? I know I'm right, yeah. but oh, I guess oh, they bro. both work. Eat my fucking <laughs> balls, all right? Um. <laughs> so yeah, man, we covered my big hobbies: music, books, and uh, watches. By the way, what are you wearing right now? Let's do a little wrist check. Are you wearing your Seiko with the orange dial? No, I'm wearing the uh, tag. The tag Heuer tag Racer. What are you wearing? I am wearing a 1968 or 1969 Timex Marlin um, hand wind. Uh, two hands. You gotta get your. You gotta get one of those. Uh, the pan. The Pan Am Timex. That one's real cool. Yeah. Did I tell you? Um, but you can't get them anywhere. They're they're trying to restock them, but in the movie, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, what's that douchebag? Mr. Baldwin. Yeah. Hate that asshole. The one who's um, going to jail for yeah, killing that yeah, fucking should. person. Yeah, he should. He should do. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how it happened. I'll tell you how it happened. You held a gun. You pulled a trigger, and somebody died as a result of that. That's how it happened. Fucking idiot. Um. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, he is uh in the movie Aviator. He plays Juan Trip, who is the my one of my good buddies, his step grandfather. Um, Juan Trip was the founder of Pan Am Airlines. So boom. Just like okay, uh, I thought you were going to say something about the watch that he was wearing in the movie. Well, but no, it but it's a Pan Am watch. Like you're saying the Pan no, Am I, watch. I get the, the connection. Pan Am, no, oh, whatever, I understand right, the right, connection. Right. I thought you were going to say he was wearing a cool watch in the movie or something. Uh, maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll not. Go, maybe go fuck yourself. Maybe yeah. go fuck yourself. Well, I um, think this is a pretty good uh, way to time to, to wrap it up. So what time's your flight, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what time's your flight? When are you going to shut up? When yeah. are you going to let me go to sleep here? <laughs> Um, we have to cut out but, that last lap. That's not a really bad. Sorry. No, 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 please. We have to. No. Yes. Um, but anyway, so yeah. So anyone who, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, 
thank you for listening. If you didn't make it this far, go fuck yourself. Yeah, if you haven't killed yourself already, you know. If you got tired of listening to Junkie speak, I did it a couple times too. It's like but the movie. Okay. It's like the movie Airplane. You know, when he's like telling them their story in the airplane, it takes the long. <laughs> like the old lady hangs herself. The guy's gonna light himself on fire. You know. <laughs> uh, but we're gonna have the more episodes we come out will be more you know conversational more, well, absolutely, laughs, more absolutely. jokes sometimes it'll be a little more serious we're really gonna get into just kind of everything right. that we find interesting which when it comes to dissecting junkies brain that's right. virtually everything on the planet mm-hmm. um outside of anything that ever had to do with school um Shit. <laughs> <laughs> academics were not my strong suit Although yeah. it's kind of funny because now I'm like super nerdy about stuff, you know, like very academic subjects, oh. which is very but, but it's it's because <clears throat> uh, we can get in this to another time on a, on a different podcast. But it's because our education system doesn't teach people properly. To Corporations, make man. <laughs> All right. Uh, what was our sign off moniker that we were going to do? I don't know if we have a moniker, but I was just uh, going to. De- what is a moniker? Just, uh, I don't know. Go to. Oh, dictionary.com or merriamwebster.com google that but i was gonna say once again this was episode number one the inaugural episode where to find the best hookers in baton rouge and uh thank you for sticking with us um sorry if it sounds funny if we're talking weird you know this is our first episode it's kind of a trial run but uh we're excited to go to episode number two which will be out soon you know and i just want to say again thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts we love you and uh go fuck yourself all right thanks <laughs>